unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we thank you for joining us for another episode. Hope you're staying safe and staying well. Coming up on today's show, we'll chat with Pam Shabatkin. She works in broadcast television and event production for many of the major networks. We'll talk about the Jordan documentary, how sports is currently and how it might be produced once live sports reemerges, that and much, much more. First, a little bit of cleanup from the last show we did on TV themes, either things I forgot to include or corrections that need to be made. First, uh, with Happy Days, Forgot to mention the original theme song was Rock Around the Clock, the 1950s hit from Bill Haley and the Comets before Pratt and McLean did the version that became much more synonymous with the TV show. Another sports tie-in could have been added. Whatever happened to Chuck? That's right. There weren't just two siblings when Happy Days uh, hit the hit the TV airwaves. It wasn't just Richie and Joni. Chuck, the oldest brother was in college playing basketball, but was written out of the show once the Fonzie character took off and he became the quasi-older brother to Richie. Chuck, meanwhile, went to the Bermuda Triangle, it appears, never to be heard from again. It was never referenced to where he went. And it was like he was never there in the first place. (laughs) And how could I have gone through Cheers and not mention some of the iconic characters of people like Cliff Claverin, played by John Ratzenberger. Hey, see, you know what I mean? Back in the day, in the 1800s. Woody Boyd, played by Woody Harrelson. Rebecca, played by Kirstie Alley, becoming the the female foil to Ted Danson's character after Shelley Long left the show. And uh, I also botched the story of Eddie Lebeck's death. It turns out he, he was a skating penguin, and that is how he was killed by the Zamboni machine. I mentioned he was a Zamboni driver and got killed by the machine, but he was a skating penguin, and an accident uh, happened that uh, quote-unquote killed him off the show. And, and the story of how Jay Thomas was written out of the show, because apparently um, when he was asked on his radio show what it was like working on Cheers, he said, it's brutal, I have to kiss Rhea Perlman. <laughs> Now, Jay denied this and declared that he was referring to the character, not the actress. Uh, Despite uh, the big praise on Jay's acting and the pairing of Eddie and Carla, he was written out because Rhea Perlman thought the pairing would make her not part of the people in the bar. And Jay Thomas, uh, the late Jay Thomas, had mentioned on his SiriusXM show, which I used to listen to quite a bit, that... uh, that Rhea Perlman pretty much hated his guts. Now, if it was based on that supposed comment or whatnot, he said their chemistry off the air was just plain horrible. And we will do more theme music shows from time to time. And in the meanwhile, though, I have decided I will do a TV theme as a feature at the end of each show. Because I'm having fun doing this, and people seem to like it, and uh, gives us something good to end on with a smile and to enjoy the nostalgia. And we welcome to today's show Pam Shabatkin. She works in broadcast television and event production with the likes of ESPN, the Big East Network, the Big Ten Network, CBS, NBC, Fox, ABC, Yes, MLB Network, NHL Network, NBA Entertainment, Access TV, and Food Network. Pam, did I get them all? 
Uh, just about. <laughs> that's, <laughs> just a, about. that's a pretty full resume there. And of course, uh, Pam, we thank you for joining us. And uh, topic for today, we wanted to talk about, you know, uh, broadcast television production with uh, all the changes that will probably be forthcoming because of the uh, the effects of the pandemic and everything like that. So uh, we thank you for taking the time to, to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks for letting me hop on and join you. Terrific. So let me uh, kind of go back a little bit because the NFL draft gave us our first um, taste of sports in some fashion uh, during the course of the COVID-19 sports shutdown. So uh, if if you could, um, you know, let's talk about the draft and how that was pulled off. And to me, that was a very miraculous effort, considering all the technology that had to go into that and very few glitches, if any, I didn't notice any whenever I was watching. It was it was absolutely amazing to me, and they they banded together in about I mean less than six weeks is just unbelievable. The team at ESPN they're so good at what they do, um, and basically what they ended up doing was they took all of the potential draftees and they sent out um, essentially media kits that had a light ring that had um, you know a, a server we usually would use like a a, a live view or um, something like that to upload to HQ um, with all of their technology that's included in the, this little package that they set up, they can set up at home so we can see the, you know, the, the technology behind everything and it's, a, it's really seamless for the player so all they have to do is focus on hopefully getting that phone call. But they sent out, I think, over 100 of them. Mm. And so they had to have people that would assemble, you know, these media kits to be sent out. Then the NFL was sending out, I think they sent to the top 32 prospects, I think they sent out all hats of all the teams, just as, you know, who, whoever they ended up getting drafted by would have the option to wear the hat like they normally would if they were on site for the draft. Mm. So there were so many people that went into making this happen. Um, and then you had a bunch of people back in the studio, of course. Um, you had, it was really cool to be able to see from our side, we got to see like this little like uh, massive wall. And if you've ever seen The Dark Knight, where, um, you know, you could see every single screen at once, it was like the coolest thing to be able to see all of these potential prospects at once and be able to experience that. But it really was a joint effort by so many, so many people. Um, I wasn't directly involved, but I knew so many people that were. So it was really cool to, to be able to just watch it from a virtual aspect. But um, again, it I thought it was it was seamless. Like you said, I didn't notice any major glitches. Um, you know, they did a lot of testing, obviously, beforehand to make sure that they knew what they needed to do. Um, and it, yeah, it just it was obviously very different, but we felt that it was very intimate too. You know, we got a chance to be into more of these uh, families' homes than we ever could before, um, and we got to feel more of a connection to the players than we ever did before. So that was something that was definitely unique, and we might not not have had a chance to do prior to this whole thing. Yeah, and you know, that's kind of interesting because, you know, the NFL draft will continue to go to various sites because it's such a huge moneymaker, not only for the league, but for the cities they go to. But could you see aspects of the virtual draft carrying over? Because, I mean, if you look at the fact that, I mean, it kind of humanized, you know, Bill Belichick and Roger Goodell to some extent. Uh, you know, do you see some of these aspects carrying over in future broadcasts? 
I mean, I absolutely do from a marketing aspect. I mean, there was one of the players, and I'm blanking on who it was, that, that had a um, Old Spice uh, bathrobe yes. that was completely branded out um, because that was one of his you know, personal sponsorships, and it became this viral thing where it, 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 you know, it drove a conversation. So if we end up seeing more of this virtual um, aspect of it, then we're going we're gonna to see more marketing either strategically placed or, um, you know, right in your face where we can obviously see it. And that's going to be something that's going to be interesting for advertisers to see how they can do it, you know, where it doesn't seem super obvious because we see that all the time in press conferences where we have a Coke bottle that's right next to the, um, you know, wherever they're sitting or it, it could be any number of things. And then all these other businesses that might not have gotten recognition before, that includes any type of household product or whatever can now, you know, have the potential to be featured. Yeah, and so the NFL draft gave us uh, that first taste of things of things to come. We've got some live sports in the past week, courtesy of NASCAR. They've got a couple races in at Darlington. Those had a lot of uh, you know technical challenges to try to pull off as well. And can you kind of take me through? Because I guess they were doing you know besides being on site, they, were, they had a studio in Charlotte, working out a studio in LA. Can you kind of walk me through? How those uh, how those broadcasts come together when there's a uh, you know three different elements in three different places? Well, I mean it, it's this has all been done before, which is interesting, and a lot of people might not realize it, but NBC kind of paved the way for all of that. Uh, well, Fox did too, um, because when they do the Olympics, when they do you know um, any type of major event that's international, mm-hmm. they usually will have broadcasters that are back in HQ that are, are broadcasting whatever the event is through a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what's interesting about this is it's kind of just a different dynamic because you don't necessarily have the studio shows that we're used to. Um, like, for example, for the World Cup, they would probably be like a mile away from the, the um, site and they would have their fans. They would be able to have all of their shoulder programming, you know, somewhere internationally where they don't really have this option anymore. That's kind of been eliminated because they just don't want people um, on site remotely. So that becomes, I think, more of a challenge than anything else because you're either going to have them in studio or they're going to have them at their house talking about all this stuff. But for the physical game or the broadcast itself, this is not anything new that any of the broadcasters are used to because a lot of this stuff, even with ESPN, even with CBS, even with Fox Sports, they've done what's called Remy Remotes, which is a kind of skeleton broadcast where they can have the ability to broadcast in a, you know, a, a production truck-like atmosphere at uh, headquarters back in, you know, for MLB, it's in Secaucus, in New York, in Bristol, wherever they are, and they can continue to broadcast the games as if they were there. Obviously, it's not the real thing because they're not physically there, but when you're dealing with something like NASCAR, you're not having them in the pit anyway. You know, NFL's just, just like that. You're, you're so far removed from the physical game or the race or whatever that you're it's, being down there outside of somebody being in the pit or, you know, for horse racing, somebody being on a physical horse interviewing somebody, um, you know, it's, it's not that much different. So they, you know, they have the same type of mindset that they would if they were on site. It's just in a different area. 
Yeah, and you know, and I think about you know when a play-by-play broadcast put together, you know, the networks have you know all these all these large amount of crews to to be on site. How many typically are involved in the production of a play-by-play broadcast? Let's just just take football for as an example, and um, how would that be affected if if uh, they're not on site? Uh, if which is possibilities we go down the road. Well, it's just going to depend on how big the broadcast is. Um, you know, for these national games, there's obviously the biggest because they have multiple trucks and they have a studio show, a pre and post game before that's usually on site. There's about 150 people roughly um, that goes into a full broadcast. Um, for a national game. And that can mean people in the production truck, that can mean talent, that can mean production assistants or coordinators, uh, production managers. And there's different groups of people for each of the of the games. So you have studio, which is pre and post game, and then you have your game operations, which is just physically the game itself. Um, and there's so many elements and logistics that go into sending equipment off, making sure you get equipment from wherever the, uh, the, whatever city, all the equipment was there before from the previous week. And, you know, this is going to be a lot different because you're not sending out equipment to the next, you know, area this time. So you're either sending it back to headquarters or you're having people that are um, driving the trailers somewhere. It just is going to all depend on how and when and the timing of everything. There's there's a lot, obviously, that's going to change. Catering is going to be completely different. And while we think it's going to eliminate a lot of uh, jobs, there also has to be new jobs that have to be created for this. So now we're having a whole medical field that has to be factored in, and that's a lot of a budget that was never there before, right? So we have to have, you know, certified nurses that have to be on site that are, checking temperatures and are available if and when somebody needs it. You know, we need to have people not only, you know, they are have been talking about making sure that the athletes are okay, but at the same time, personnel has to be okay because they get close to the players. The people that are broadcasting have to be okay. Every, you know, all the other people that are working in stadiums that are, even if there's no fans, they're still making sure that the operations on the facility side is working. So they need to make sure that those guys are taken care of too. So there's a whole budget now that's going to be, have to re be reorganized to make sure that they're keeping everybody safe. And again, it wasn't ever a factor before necessarily, you know, to make sure that no one's getting sick and then they have to factor out if somebody does get sick, how are they containing the issue? So who is getting exposed? How are you going to quarantine this person? You know, there's so many elements that they still have to work out. That's going to really change the dynamic. Eventually, you know, we're going to get back to having fans. But for now, this kind of gives, again, the broadcast an opportunity that was never there before that I think will benefit um, the experience of storytelling, which I'm excited about and nervous about. But without fans, you know, you can have cameras really wherever you want, whereas before you couldn't have a camera that obstructed a view of a fan with a paid ticket, right? You couldn't have it, you know, five rows back like you normally would because you would have fans going crazy and saying, why can't I see this? You know what I mean? So that's going to be different. Um, You can have rail cams, and they use that most specifically with, like, swimming events for the Olympics. That goes back and forth. That was not there before. 
I think that we're going to be seeing that in, in baseball as it comes back, in hockey as it comes back, because you're eliminating one thing from being on site, but you're also getting the opportunity to use things that you wouldn't have a chance to do before. Yeah, so it is a blank canvas, uh, if you will. Um, so yep. you, you talk about you know not being fans there now. You know, in NASCAR, the fans really don't quote unquote sway and affect momentum in that sport. So when you look at football and basketball, where you know where where that kind of comes into play, and I also think of a TV show like College Game Day, where the fan experience is such a great backdrop for that show. That's going to be a pr- pretty unique challenge there. And and what are your thoughts about potentially using piped in crowd noise and things like that? I mean. It's not as authentic as it would be if there were, you know, 24-year-olds screaming, wasted, falling off of chairs, you know, (laughs) that's definitely going to be different. There are a lot of schools that do use pumpkin crowd music anyway that people don't realize that they do, do. but um, I think just trying to keep things as normal as possible, obviously it's going to be different. Obviously there's going to be a kind of deflation um, in the game day experience, which, you know, is not ideal. But again, if it allows them to play, I think, you know, for now, this is, this works. This is going to have to be something that we're going to have to get used to. There can still be, again, with facilities management, they can still be playing music. They can still be doing, you know, other things, but it's just, it's going to be different. And I know that, that energy that you feel when there's a bunch of fans that are in the crowd and they get you pumped up, but you know, there can be other ways that maybe we can figure out on how to get these players to feel, you know, that energy again, whether it's user submitted videos and that, that would rely on the team, I think, which they have their work cut out for them because now they're working strictly with digital. Um, and now they're working with trying to, connect with the fans in a whole different level that they never had to before. They have to be engaging. And, you know, this is going to be a one huge watch party now. Mm-hmm. And it gives, again, it's an opportunity for the teams, but it's also very difficult because, you know, the team, you know, the whoever is going to be watching it, obviously the players are going to be wanting to win based on, you know, wanting to have the fans support. So there's a lot of different opportunities and levels that is going to be different but i i obviously love fans in the stadiums it always makes it better when there's a packed house but it's just going to be something that we have to get used to and hopefully won't last too long but last as long as it takes as long as everyone's safe i think that's really been the ongoing and most important part and to i've seen a lot of these um higher education, all all these guys are saying, well, let's just have fans. I'm sure we can make it work. Without having 20,000 people in a stadium is not going to work anytime soon. That's just the reality of it. And if we don't want to have another wave of this, then we got to have the realistic expectations of not having them there just for a little while. We we know it's temporary. We know it's not forever. And, you know, I I know that once we are allowed to have them back, it's going to be, one big party that I'm I'm trying to mentally prepare for because you know it's gonna it's gonna be one big blowout. So, 
Um, so it, it, we're recording this in advance of the, the Tiger Phil, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning uh, golf uh, uh, event that's going to take place on Turner. And Turner got a little yeah. bit of a playbook because of the uh, the exhibition that was played last week on NBC. So um, yep. how did you think that uh, particular broadcast went? And uh, and what are the challenges with that as well? Because I know with golf, it's a, you know, especially when it's such a small field, there's going to be a lot of downtime uh, that has to be filled. Well, and again, this, again, it's a new opportunity. Um, it's going to be a, it's a really small skeleton crew. There's like not, it's not anything from a regular broadcast that anyone would think of for a regular golf tournament. Cause you usually have cameras at the 18th hole at the tent hole, you know, you have, um, people that are just facilitating all of these holes and tracking them. But now you're getting to have these players mic'd up that you wouldn't have a chance before. And you're kind of following their journey. And I, I'm treating this experience like, um, like a pro-am that we just, ha- there happen just to be cameras following them around. You know, this is just something where they're going and they're playing in a really, they're playing in, you know, Tiger's backyard essentially. Hope Sound is only, you know, 15, 20 minutes from Jupiter where Tiger lives and where Phil lives. And they're all, you know, it's, yes, it's for charity, but I'm looking at this as like, you know, four pals getting together just because they just happen to be in Florida. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if we look at it from that aspect and look at it less from a, oh, this is going to be some big blowout, whatever, it's going to make the storyline, I think, more appealing because we're getting access to people that we would never would have gotten a chance to. I mean, who, who would ever think that we would get Tom Brady, especially when he's newly you know, in Tampa Bay and knew his whole life has been essentially changed that we'd get access into Peyton Manning giving him jabs. You know what I mean? (laughs) Playing golf. This is essentially, again, for fun, um, but it's going to a really good cause. So it's a must-see TV moment. And I think they did really well all considering what they had to change. They're only having, I think, six cameras for this Tiger broadcast. So it's really a lot smaller than it it, they originally would have been um they don't they're not having caddies so that's a completely different experience or having to pull their own golf clubs and that's just going to be different um you know so we're kind of getting more of an intimate look at what it would be like if they were just four guys who are happen to just going to go play golf they just happen to be really 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 famous and really really good at their craft <laughs> yeah kind of <laughs> so. kind of like having a celebrity enforcement in front of you out on the course right Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you look at the, uh, you know, with the with the sports landscape being shifted, with you know the the, the schedule shifting for the NBA, the NHL, golf, tennis, you know, if we look at the fall, this could be an incredibly busy sports schedule. I imagine it's going to take a lot of creativity on the networks just to get it all on the air. I mean, yeah, there's going to have to be a lot of shifting, um, and that's going to be an interesting, I'm really curious, we, uh, me and my colleagues have all been talking about how different the fall is going to be. I'm trying to enjoy sleeping now because I don't think that's going to happen in the fall, <laughs> and it's going to be interesting because with these crews that normally travel throughout the season, they're, it, it's, it's a whole different ballgame now. Literally, um, because the ones that normally would be crewed for baseball would be switching over to college football or the NBA playoffs or whatever. 
they would be transitioning into working with, you know, different, different sports. So now that it's all coming back at once, I'm not sure how, you know, again, I'm not an expert by any means. Thank God I'm not in programming because they're, they're really going, they're putting in double time because it's going to be really interesting to see how they really, and they're going to have to work together with different sports and different networks, I think, to make sure that there's not a lot of overlap, even though I think there will be. Um, and if baseball comes back, how's that going to come into play? It's, there's so many different things. And even in October, I always see that October and March are the craziest months anyway because all the sports are happening at the same time. So the creative aspect is already kind of in play, but now they're just kind of looking at it as looking into August as preseason football comes up and then, you know, how college football and the NFL happens at the beginning of, of September. And then in October, you've got, you know, normally you would have baseball playoffs and normally you, you would have hockey starting and college basketball starting up. So there's so many different things. It's, you know, a, a lot of this is going to rely on the governors too because if you can't open the city, then they're going to have, these teams are going to have to get specific orders from the state in order to play these games with or without fans. I mean, I'm completely eliminating the mindset of fans right now and just looking at the basic logistics of playing the game itself. And there's just a lot of, there's so much that goes into it that it's, I'm overwhelmed just thinking about it, let alone having to implement it, you know, on paper. So we're just going to have to kind of see what happens and hopefully not going to wait. There's not going to be a second wave because if that, if there's a second wave that happens in August, you know, in mid July, let's say that's going to eliminate all the games that are happening in August, which mm. we don't want. Right. So right. that's going to be just something that hopefully we can continue the keeping everybody safe that we can eventually have sports when they come back. Yeah, and I can also imagine that the networks are probably going to have to work together and maybe even trade some properties over in order to get stuff on the air, and you'll probably see more things shift to the you to the various uh, sports networks for CBS and NBC and Fox because there's just going to be so much that has to be carried. Sure, well, I mean, and that's what happened with the NFL draft. We saw, you know, ESPN and NFL Network kind of working side-by-side to quote-unquote pull this off what they did this so seamlessly um but you know they they made it work and they knew that this was going to be a must-see tv event and sometimes it just it's not more about having the ratings or whatever but it's about working together so they can pull off this type of event so i think we might be seeing that more um moving forward and maybe not necessarily with the direct you know, competitors of the networks, but maybe like Fox, you know, Big Fox with Fox Sports or CBS with CBS Sports Network, that kind of thing where, you know, there's there's multiple entities within that same network that will see, you know, shoulder programming or on their digital platform. Um, you know, sometimes when games go into overtime, they flex it to, you know, how ESPN does it. They might put it on ESPN News or ESPN2 or a different, you know, network of their own and that might make it work just as fine too so there's going to be you know there's there's options which is great um and you just have to see which one works best for everybody and know that there's not one model because sports are just broadcast differently you know in general so that's going to be interesting to see how this all all pans out and one last topic I wanted to cover with you today was the uh, the Michael Jordan documentary series that uh, was 10 hours of awesome programming for ESPN, originally to be released during the summer, but it, the timetable shifted up because uh, 
face it, we needed something to to, to watch, and uh, they sure. had they had to go into overdrive and get that uh, get that thing done in time. And I believe, uh, if I heard correctly, they were putting the finishing touches on uh, the last parts of it at the end of the week prior to the Sunday airing. Give me your thoughts oh, first overall on the Jordan documentary, and and kind of give me also uh, some some insight into what goes behind putting together that that length of a documentary with so, with so many stories to tell. I mean, first of all, they did a phenomenal job. It was something where I mean, I, I miss the '90s so much because that era of basketball. You know, as much as we talk about the Steph Curry's and the LeBrons and even the Kobe era, that was so great. We almost kind of, you know, put in the back of our mind how great that era of basketball was. What was so unique about that documentary was the fact that there was access back then that we didn't, that you couldn't even get that now if you tried. I mean, yeah, we, they have the um, Showtime, like it's a football life, and they have like the hard knocks where they have a camera crew, but you don't have a camera crew following around one team for an entire year. That's a lot of footage, and footage that I between you and me and the rest of the world would pay quite a bit of money for to see all the stuff that was on the cutting room floor. I mean, you have hours and hours and hours of, of footage that you, you can only put into a 10 hour documentary. I mean, you could have probably had 10, 10 hour documentaries of this type of thing. I didn't feel like it was nearly enough. I wanted more. Um, Cause there were so many side storylines that I wanted to know more about. There are so many of these guys that have, fascinating stories you know when you when you go and you win six out of the eight years you win world championships that's just crazy to me and the fact that there was so much footage at the time is just uh you know i hate to use the word unprecedented but that's what what it was and it's really it was a cool inside look um and to hear from different players and to hear from you know, the, the true aspect, what really happened. We all want access. That's why we love reality television so much. That's why we love, you know, when we mic up players for hockey, I want to hear what they're saying on the bench. We want as much access to things as possible, and they did a, such a great job. But in post-production, it's a completely different story. In live television, you film the game that it's happening, you edit the highlights, and that's it. And you go home at the end of the day. But for this stuff, you're having to go through and make sure that the story that you're telling um, is, is makes sense and it's, you can understand it and add in any of the extra um, things for context just to make sure that you haven't left anything out. You might curve the story a little bit. You know, there's so many different nuances to editing. You have to get rights to music that takes a long time. There's a lot of legal aspects that are involved with it when you're interviewing players. You know, you have to make sure that the logos and the branding and the sponsorship, there's so much that goes into just one hour, let alone 10. Um, and then being told, hey, we're not doing this. You know, if you're, if you're working on some project that's supposed to be due in mid-June and then you're told in March, hey, just kidding, it's due tomorrow, that's a lot of pressure to make sure, A, it's done correctly and right, and B, that you're not, you know, making yourself crazy by working hours, you know, when everyone's supposed to stay home and stay safe. I mean, there's so many things that have to have gone on to make sure that this was pulled off. And like you said, it was up until the very last minute. I think the director, Jason, had mentioned on SVP after the final episode 
that they didn't finish until Thursday, um, which is a, a crazy thought to try to get things done in time. But I think they really, they pulled it off. Um, they said they were working endless hours to make sure that it was right. And again, there's so much footage. It's not like you have, you know, three videotapes to go through. You have a full year, okay, full 365 days worth of footage, you know, to figure out what to put in to a documentary for the world to see because all eyes are going to be on you. It's not like this would be going up against another sport maybe in June. This is going up, this is was supposed to air right before the NBA Finals. So you're already having other programming that you're competing with, but now that you know that you're the only band, band in town, that even puts even more pressure on you to do it right. So there was a lot of things that just went into just the post-production aspect that, you know, that I, I couldn't even wrap my head around if I tried. But mm-hmm. there's just a lot of elements, again, legally you have to work through and making sure that the audio syncs up with, you know, the video and all that stuff. And when you are interviewing these guys, you're going into their homes too. You're allow you know, they're giving you the intimate access of what really went down. And sometimes they want to talk about what really happened. And sometimes you got to like a journalist interview and try to get the answers that you're looking for because directors like to have a certain way of telling the story the correct way or the right way or a different way. And there's just so many elements that go into it that just I, I'm blown away about how amazing that documentary is. And I really want to see, again, I want to see more. I hope that there's they come out with lost footage episodes. I want to see what happens in Vegas with Dennis Rodman more than anything else. <laughs> um, but, you know, I thought they did a great job. And I'm, I, it's inspiring other networks, too, to now come out with these documentaries because they've got all this footage. You know, uh, NBC is coming out with a Tiger documentary coming up. Um, because of the success of The Last Dance, I know ESPN is putting out a bunch of 30 for 30s on Lance Armstrong and um, a couple different uh, baseball players. So this is going to be something where we're just consuming content because what else is there to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's giving everybody an opportunity to go through all this old footage that, you know, might have been in the archives for a while, but this is stuff we want to see. We want to see all this stuff. We want to get more access to these players that we know and love and hopefully find out more about them and get a better connection to them. So. Well, Pam, I've really enjoyed this. I appreciate your uh, your broadcast and television event production expertise and kind of, you know, I'm, I'm one of these guys who likes to know how the soup is made, so I do appreciate you taking the time to do that. And you're also a great follow on social media. Please uh, tell folks where they can follow you and your work. Sure. I'm uh, uh, I'm very active on Twitter. You can follow me at Redis Foximus, R-E-D-D-U-S-F-O-X-I-M-U-S. Um, and I'm that's the biggest source of what I use talk about different topics pop culture or with sports or just everyday happening so that's that's where you can find me oh yeah and i gotta ask you this too you are a uh, graduate of the university of tennessee but you teach at alabama can you tell me how that works <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i get a lot of flack for that i've never said roll i will not finish that sentence i've never said that thankfully in my life but um, the opportunity came about because one of my close friends from college at UT actually um, is tenured over at Alabama, and they had 
um, been working on this sports and entertainment specialization through the public relations major, and they were looking for adjunct professors that had been active in the business, um, trying to give these students a little bit more of a insider look to how marketing works and how um, sponsorship works and asked me if I wanted would be interested in doing it. Um, the, I, I do an online class. I've done it, I think this is just wrapped up my third year. So it's been really rewarding for me. It's nice to be able to, to give them some insight into what I do. And um, yeah, it's just, it happens to be Alabama, which I'm fine with. Hey, I, I'm all pro SEC at the end of the day. So, <laughs> but my heart always will lie with University of Tennessee and I still am very active with everything that goes on with there and the recruiting process and all that stuff. So hey, and the checks still cash the same too. So that's all. That's all the really. Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, that's that's the biggest thing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Pam, thank you so much. I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining no us. No problem. And we'll be back with a final thought and our TV theme in just a moment. Five reasons why you should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three, live every weekday morning just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't pick stupid. Five, if you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got peace. Oldschool101.com. Forget about it. All right, a closing thought before we get to our TV theme to finish out this week's edition of the show. And as always, we please invite your feedback and uh, your participation. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88 to do just that. And Major League Baseball and their players, there seems to be a little bit of uh, bitching and moaning about the money the players want to be paid. You know, this is not what we want to hear in the middle of a pandemic when many people have been so horrendously been affected by things in their life, job loss, lack of income. You know, baseball players have all, you know, many of them, not all of them, they because some do play just for the money, but a lot of them say, you know, I play this game for free because I love the game of baseball. Well, you know, hey, that, of course, would be the time to prove it. No better time than now. And as promised, we're going to end the show each week with a TV theme and uh, talk a little television. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old that you laughed about Well the names have all changed since you hung around But those dreams have remained and they've turned around Who'd have thought they'd lead you? Who'd have thought they'd lead you? Yeah, well 
Yes, welcome back, Cotter, which ran from 1975 to 1979 on ABC, starring Gabe Kaplan as Gabe Cotter, a former sweat hog who returns to be their teacher of said remedial class, and a TV show that launched the stardom of one John Travolta as Vinny Bob 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 Marino. <laughs> Other characters, of course, were Arnold Horshack, oh, 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 Freddie Boom Boom Washington, hi there, Epstein, Hotsy Totsy, Principal, Vice Principal Woodman, and of course, Mrs. Cotter, Julie Cotter. Show made a uh, popular phrase, up your nose with a rubber hose, part of the lexicon of the time. As we mentioned, John Travolta in the fourth season was only seen in 10 episodes because of Grease and Saturday Night Fever had made him such a megastar. He was only in that final season as a special guest star. Of course, Gabe Kaplan, sports tie-in was that he was the captain of ABC's team in the Battle of the Network Stars, which ABC won a lot, and he was a pretty... Decent athlete, known for running down tough man Robert Conrad in a relay race to win. And the theme song was done by John Sebastian, who was a lead singer of the Love and Spoonful back in the 60s. All right, that wraps it up. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.